Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. Morning, everyone. I, I always try on Sundays to maintain some sense of dignity, but I found out that when I was leaving the last service, my microphone was still on as I uh, went out to my car. <laughs> now I have all these uh, messages on, li- on uh, Facebook saying, Pastor Mike, your light was still on. I'm hoping I didn't say anything inappropriate. <laughs> I guess I'll find out. <laughs> well, it, it has been an amazing experience for me to, to go through this journey of learning to pray with the Apostle Paul. I feel like I'm, I'm just beginning in the school of prayer, looking at so closely at how Paul prayed and then learning to pray like Paul. What I've what I found about prayer is you really learn to pray by praying. But you also learn to pray by praying with people who know how to pray. And, and as we're doing this together, as we're going through this, this series of studies of the prayers of the Apostle Paul, you can really learn how to get extraordinary answers by praying like the Apostle Paul prayed. Now, one of, the, one of the keys that I'm beginning to find is this, and I'd like you to grab hold of this today, is that the Apostle Paul always prayed with passion. But he also always prayed with discipline. Because he was constantly praying. He scheduled prayer. He prayed emotionally. He prayed from the depths of his heart. But he also prayed constantly. He prayed scheduled prayers. Now, what that means is this. There are some of you in this room that you have no trouble. You have strength being passionate. But you have trouble being disciplined. There's others in this room that you have no trouble. Your your default setting is to be disciplined. You have a prayer list or you have a, a set time to pray, but you have trouble being passionate. You will only rise in your spiritual maturity to the level that you grow in your weakness. If you're disciplined but not passionate, your prayers will not ascend. If you're passionate but you're not disciplined, your prayers will not prevail. You need both. And it is too important right now that the people of God, that the church of Jesus Christ is too important that every single one of us be prevailing in our prayers. Your family's dependent on you. Your community is depending on you. Jesus designed that the church of His own name would govern in this world through our prayer lives. Not through our work, not through our words, but through our prayer life that then leads us to work and words. Jesus Himself said, I do nothing of my own initiative. I only do what I see the Father doing, and I only say what the Father is saying. That is the way of effectiveness. Now here's what I've found. I've, I've been in ministry, uh, pastor for 37 years, and most churches are prayerless. 
And most prayer meetings are powerless. Even though people go through the motions. And here's people's thought. Well, so few people pray. If we just do any kind of prayer whatsoever, it's better than nothing. Or God should answer us just because we're praying. Well, if you're doing this study with me, you'll realize that God has said, here is how you speak to me. Here is how you come to me. And here is how I will answer you when you come according to what I have prescribed. Well, why is that so important? Because God is not an it. God is not a thing. He's not just the spirit in the sky. He's a person. And any person you address, you have to address in a way that the person will respond. It's true of you. It's true of me. Somebody comes up to you and says, give me a dollar. I mean, even though it's a dollar, you're not going to give it just because of the way they addressed you. We're not just talking about that he's a person. He's the divine person. He's awe-inspiring. His presence is so fearful that the Old Testament saints wanted to see his face, but feared seeing his face, for they they said, if we see your face, we will surely die. So we're not just talking about a person who, who any person has a manner in which they wish to be addressed. And only when you address them in that manner will you get the response. But we are talking about the divine person, the one whose face you may long to see, but apart from Christ, if you were to see his face, it would destroy you. And so you can't just come and say, God, well, I said a prayer. Or for those of you who learn religious praying, God, I said your prayer over and over again. When Jesus said, if you're repeating words without meaning, you will never be heard. He said, it doesn't matter what the words are because what you're doing is pagan praying. So you're praying to the wrong God even if you have the right words. (laughs) Some of you are looking at me like, I came for this this morning? Look, why waste your time? The Bible's really clear, and, and the one you're praying to is the God of the Bible. He's not the God of your imagination. He's the God of revelation. And so what happens to many of us is we do not realize not only how important prayer is and how powerful it is, but how relational it is. Prayer is a relationship with a person. I mean, there are some, again... Some of you are disciplined, so you learn. I can say this. I have a prayer list. I do this every day. But that's in some ways treating God like he's a Coke machine. If I just get the right change, if I get the correct change, then I can get my drink. And that's not dealing with him as a person. And some of us are so passionate. Oh, God, I prayed about this 20 years ago with passion. But then you left it out and you left it off. And you don't realize... He had another plan than just to answer you. He had a plan of shaping you so that you could actually receive the answer. And you turned away because your passion waned. Are you tracking with me in this? So I began to kind of understand this more and more about in 2001. In 2001, I was invited, Lisa and I were invited to go do prayer conferences or prayer, we call them prayer summits in Norway. 
And we were sent to two towns. There were two towns, two churches. And in the, the very first church that we went to, revival broke, broke out. I mean, everybody started praying. Deliverances started happening. Miracles started happening. People just got so excited. And they were Norwegians. <laughs> it was an amazing experience. And, and we were like, God, thank you for sending us. This is awesome. But many of you who know Lisa, you know that she's very sensitive to the Lord. And her prayer life is a very deep prayer life. And before we ever went to Norway, she kept saying to me, every time I pray, I hear women weeping. I hear these women weeping. And I'm like, oh, I hope that's not the way it's going to be, you know? But I, I've learned she hears things. She knows things from the Lord, and I, I better pay attention. So we got finished with the first church, and I was like, honey, we didn't have women weeping. We had women shouting hallelujah. You know, we had women you know, excited and everything like that. And she goes, well, maybe I, maybe I heard wrong. Nope, it was the next church. <laughs> so we go into this church, and uh, they had had the same experience as the first church three or four years before. But now, their hearts are hard. They're angry. They're upset. They looked at me and they said, we know so-and-so and so-and-so, but we don't know you, and who are you, and what are you doing here? I was like, wow. That's a good start. And so, what had happened is, as they had given themselves to prayer in the, in the early, it had been exciting. It had been passionate. But you, you must understand something. Satan is far more afraid of your prayer life than anything else. He doesn't care what kind of programs we have at the church. He cares about the prayer behind the programs. And he cares about the people praying. And so what he did is he started taking out the prayer leaders. Incredible spiritual warfare. All kinds of pain. All kinds of things began to come up. Fights and, and, and issues in their marriages. Issues in their lives. Old wounds started surfacing. And instead of praying, they hardened their hearts. And I had a picture that they had seven walls and that we had to break down the seven walls to get back to their hearts. And so the Lord gave me a message and he gave me a prayer time with them to break down the seven walls. And as I was going through it, they got angrier and angrier and the tension in the room was was fierce. Who is this American who's coming over here telling us what's wrong with our hearts? And somewhere in the middle, this respected woman who had been a missionary and had come back from the mission field broken began to cry out, repenting of her sin and confessing her sins. The whole atmosphere broke and then every wall started coming down. And then, I'll tell you what you heard, weeping women. Just like Lisa had said. And one of the leaders came up to us afterwards and she said this to us. She said, the Lord recently took me to a museum. And in the museum I saw a sculpture, it was either a sculpture or a painting, I can't remember it so many years ago. 
And it was, a, it was a picture of a frozen heart that wouldn't melt. She said, the Lord spoke to me and said, that's your heart. And she said, for the first time tonight, my heart began to melt. What I'm asking of you is that you would truly begin to assess your heart and to recognize the hard places, the wounded places, the places of resistance, the walls. Because every one of us goes into our spiritual life, we go into our prayer life expecting it'll be different. Not knowing that God's going to reveal all the broken places. Not knowing that all the weaknesses are going to come out. Not knowing that we're going to look bad as we try to get better. And you will either go into prayerlessness or greater prayerfulness. You will either let Him clear out those wounds in your heart and make you strong, or you'll protect those places and keep Him out. See, there are hurdles outside of you that need you to pray. But the first hurdles are always inside. And they're always the hardest for us to face. And many times we'll pray about other people's issues so we don't have to deal with ours. And then we wonder why we get so few answers. So there's no better scripture. Are you tracking with me? Because the air kind of went out of the room, so I'm trying to figure out. Are you with me? There's no better place to look for answers in Paul's prayers than Philippians. It's a short little prayer. Although I will tell you this, I have enough teaching on this prayer for the entire week, and I've got about 20 minutes left, so I'm in a little trouble today. But will you stay with me, because I think it's important. Would you, would you read this scripture out loud with me? I love it when the church reads God's word in response to God. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, Here's where I want us to focus today. And, I, and I'm gonna, I just want to summarize it into a big picture moment. Okay? What Paul is saying is that any spiritual dryness in you, any spiritual resistance in you, is because that your capacity is not increased enough to receive the fullness of God's love. See, the issue for many of us is we have believed that we have to produce love for God. That we have to try to love God. That will always lead to spiritual emptiness. And it will lead to spiritual frustration. You see, you do not have the capacity to love God without first receiving the reality of His love for you. Until you are convinced, until the most certain thing in your life is, I am loved by God. I am accepted by God. I have access to the very heart of God. 
If every day you're questioning, does he love me? Is he faithful? Can he be trusted? Is he good? Then what happens is you have no foundation for spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is really manifest in your prayer life. I've known people who know their Bibles from front to back, who know every theological point, but have no prayer life, which means they have no spiritual maturity, which means they have no spiritual strength. Of course, I also know people who don't know any Scripture whatsoever, who believe they are spiritual, and they have no spiritual strength, and they have no spiritual maturity. Because what Paul is saying here is the degree to which your capacity to experience, contain, and continue to experience the love of God is the foundation of all spiritual strength in your life. So he is saying this. He's saying that the manifestation that you are receiving the love of God is how much you are loving God back. But in reality, the true test is not just do you love God, but do you love others? Because you see, if you're, not, if you're not filled with the love of God, you'll only love people who are just like you and who basically agree with you, which is only you, really. And you don't even agree with yourself all the time. I was amazed when I first came to Nyack. I was teaching some students in the Romans class. And uh, some of them came up to me and said, we, we hate some people. And you're saying we're supposed to love everybody. And I was like, well, let's think about what Jesus said. So he said, love your brothers and your sisters. That's the family of God. That's the people in this room. Love them. Then what did he say? He said, love your neighbors, which is, means cross-culturally. Love people who are from a different culture, different race, different language. Love them as yourself. And then he said, love your enemies. And I would define an enemy as someone who doesn't love you. So love your enemies. Pretty much Jesus said, anybody that breathes, right? So here's the question. All right, am I having trouble loving people who are different from me? Am I having trouble loving people who are enemies? Am I having trouble even loving my brothers and my sisters whom I have seen? Then the issue isn't how do I produce love for them? The issue is why has the love of God not penetrated my heart? Why do I not have capacity in my heart for enough love that what God has asked me to love my brother, my sister, to love my neighbor, to love my enemy is not happening to me. And this is how I know we have a prayerless church in America. Because if we had a prayerful church, we would be receiving enough love from God that we would love those who are a different race, who are a different culture. We would have the, we would have the capacity to love even those that we're afraid of. And we wouldn't speak so disrespectfully. We wouldn't speak so fearfully, so angrily. Because even our speech would be characterized by love even when we disagree with somebody. 
I didn't grow up arguing lovingly. All our arguments in our home would always denigrate to the uh, ad hominem argument, which is a fancy way of attacking another person in Latin. You know, things like this. Well, you're just stupid. Well, you're ugly. And then I would say back, well, you said I'm ugly, but I, I, you know, or I'm stupid. And then you'd say something like, you know, but you're fat. Are you this? Isn't it interesting that in many of our homes, maybe it's just my home, in many of our homes we are never taught a capacity to receive love. And we were never dealt with when we didn't distribute love by going back to the source of love. That's what Paul is saying here. He's saying you're going to live in an unloving world. The question then is, are you going to have the capacity in an unloving, hostile world to love? How do I know this isn't happening? Well, because I hear people all the time blaming. Do you understand when you blame everybody else for the things in your life and you hold everybody else responsible for the things in your life and you're full of anger and bitterness and fearfulness and all of this you're saying everybody else is responsible for me which means you've been cut off from love because here's the thing whether you're in a marriage or church a friendship or job nobody can keep you from loving them So the issue isn't whether they love you back. You're not responsible for that piece of it. The issue is, are you loving them? But what many of us are doing is we're looking and saying, I find fault with this person. I blame this person. I don't feel safe with this person. I don't feel secure about this situation. And so then we say, because of that, I don't have to be loving Now, please understand me. We're going to talk about a little bit that love has knowledge. I'm not talking about excuses. I'm not talking about denying reality. Love is not love if truth is not at the heart of love. Jesus loved you while you were a sinner. He didn't say, you're not a sinner. He said you were so bad a sinner, He had to die on a cross for you. He had to take the punishment of all your sin by the forsakenness that he experienced from his father. So he's not denying the reality of how evil you are. But he has chosen to do that because of the reality of his love for you. And so now he's saying, if you let that love come into you, then it will be expressed to others. But here's the thing, is what Paul's saying here is if that love characterizes your heart and it's increasing and it's abounding in you, what Paul is saying is there's a purpose to that love. It's not just so you feel loved. He's saying that this purpose is to give you insight. The purpose is to give you discernment. Do you understand? Spiritual dryness is the realization that you haven't discerned what is best for you. You haven't discerned what really has value. 
Spiritual dryness is you not really pursuing life in pursuing the love of God in its fullness for you. I've never seen a spiritual dry person who could work themselves up into spiritual passion. But I have seen spiritually dry people get filled with the love of God and suddenly their passion was renewed. When they recognized the Father's touch, when they recognized the Spirit's kiss on their life, they began to say, this is worth living because of this love. Now, are you tracking with me? Am I explaining it well enough? <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I want to make it really practical for you. Basically, everything that comes out of your mouth should have a grid of love. So as soon as it's coming out of your mouth, you're asking the question, is this loving? Or anything that you do, you have a grid. And the grid is this. Is this expressing love? Now, it's, an, it's a simple grid. It's a simple kind of grid for every choice of your life. But what Paul is saying, if love becomes the grid or the spectacles through which you view life, you will actually have the capacity for the, to have the best life that God could ever give you and that His destiny for you will be realized. Now, part of this is the realization that God is never giving you less than 100% of His love. And He didn't start loving you because you accepted Christ. He loved you before the foundation of the world. You activated His love when in your life when you put your faith in Jesus, in the cross, in His resurrection, and now in His Spirit indwelling you. But you are 100% the object of His love all the time. So the access is there for you. But the choice has to be made by you. And, and part of it is to begin to assess where you're not allowing the love of God to be the grid by which you make choices. So this week I had an example of this. I, I was particularly burdened. This was a particularly hard and stressful week. Many things that I planned did not work out the way I wanted them to, and, and I was exhausted. And I came, and we had these two chairs in our house, and, and they are the chairs where I go when I'm tired. And basically, I want to slump into those chairs, and I don't want anybody to bother me. I have my three remotes. I'm ready to go. All right? So I'm slumped in the chair. I'm brooding. I'm upset. My life isn't going the way I want it to go. I'm thinking about how burdened I am and everything. And Lisa speaks to me and says, would you get my computer and bring it to me? Well, I got it, and then I gave it to her. And I'm like, you are so unloving. You don't realize what a burden I'm under. You don't realize how much stress. You were one chair away from where the computer was, and you made me get up and go get it. Well, she didn't respond well to my, <laughs> my correction. And so at first I'm like, she will never listen to me. She doesn't take any instruction from me. And I just start, I'm just pouting and brooding. She doesn't know how much I carry on my back and she doesn't seem to care and all this kind of stuff. Pity party, right? Nobody joined me either. 
And she's over there, she's, she's not happy with me. And I'm not happy. And I'm wanting her to come over and say, oh, it's okay, you get a pass because it's a hard day. But I've been in the Bible every day in this coronavirus. And I've been studying the scriptures, and I've been praying like I've never prayed before. And that Holy Spirit talks to you at the most inopportune times. <laughs> and he goes, was that loving? And I just turned him off. I'm mad. I don't care. He goes, was that loving? And he just kept saying it. And I'm like, no, it wasn't loving on her part. <laughs> Get her. All right, I'm just being really real with you on this, right? I know better, but I didn't want to stop. I wanted to be mad. I wanted her to pay for making me get out of my chair. You understand? At that moment, he said, that's the level of your spiritual maturity right now. Am I making my point? I was like, oh, like a child then? Like a spoiled child who pouts when he doesn't get his way? Who makes other people hurt because he doesn't get his way? Who makes the person he loves most feel like she's small when he doesn't get his way? You see, what Paul is saying and what I, I heard the Spirit say very personally is you have to assess where you're willing to be spiritually strong. You have to assess where you're willing to be spiritually mature. And you can't sit there and blame it on somebody else or some situation or how hard today was. Because if that's so, then the enemy can take away your strength every day because he knows where that access point is. And guess where the access? It's where you're not loving. It's where you're not increasing in love. So what is Paul... Am I getting... I feel very emotional about this. But I went to her, you know, I went to her afterwards and I said, I know that wasn't loving. I know it wasn't. And part of me still, I struggled because I wanted her to acknowledge, you know, like, you shouldn't have asked me that. Yeah, and it was not easy. And I'm like, Lord, you're showing me that I still don't trust love. I don't trust your love. When I'm tired, I trust my selfishness. When I'm stressed, I, 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 I trust my demands. In this whole series, what he's been doing is saying, Mike, will you increase in love even when you don't have understanding? Will you increase in love even when it seems like you're more powerless than ever? Will you increase in love when you cannot control people or circumstances? Will you increase? And sometimes I resist because sometimes I still want control and sometimes I still want power even if it's an illusion of power. But this chapter has struck me so powerfully because the love that he's talking about becomes a worldview the way you look at everything. Is it loving? And then the purpose of that increasing love is what Paul is saying will lead you to the life of excellence that God has destined for you. It's a life where you end up 
You end the failures. You end the mediocrity. Think about it this way with me. Every choice you face, the spirit of wisdom is indwelling you. In other words, he's the one who knows the end from the beginning. If you will rely on his love to dictate your choices, then he will be responsible for the end, not you. And he's such a good teacher that he has allowed you many detours and he has allowed you dead ends so that you will figure out, I can't do this without prayer. I can't lead my family without prayer. I can't be a good friend. I can't be a spouse without prayer. I can't navigate life well without prayer because only then will He reveal to me the end from the beginning. Are you tracking with me in this? So what he says, what Paul says in this, and I won't be able to get to all of it. You can join me 9 o'clock tomorrow as we unpack every day the rest of this. But I'd like you to get this part with me, okay? So what he prays is that they'll grow in their knowledge of of the love that God has for them. Now, knowledge in in the Bible is not just intellectual assent or even intellectual recognition. Knowledge in the Bible is experience of. So what God is inviting you into when Paul prays this is a greater and greater experience of his love. But it comes with knowing what that means how it means that you're completely accepted if you're in Christ. That you're not even the same person you used to be, so that when you stand before God, He doesn't see you in your past. He sees you as if you did everything Jesus did. He sees you as righteous as Jesus, and because you're in Jesus, He loves you as much as He loves Jesus. So that when you're standing before Him with all your faults, with all your failings, He's like, let me love on you. And I've heard people, Christians, thinking it was humility to say, well, God, I'm not worthy of that love. Stop it. You're not. But it's irrelevant. It is a love for sinners. It is a love for the ungodly. And it is a love that changes us into saints. It is a love that changes us, actually, in the most fundamental way to where we actually become sons and daughters. And so we're speaking to our Father. We're not just speaking to God. I I would suggest, can I just give you a practical illustration about this? Think about how you address God. Okay, If you are addressing God all the time as God, you're not being personal. God is just a title. It's a designation. It has really no personal meaning whatsoever. Even if you say, Lord God, I would say, stop it. Just stop it. Stop doing it. And then speak personally. If you're talking to the Father, say Father. If you want to have a conversation with Jesus, say Jesus. And you can, you, there are terms for Jesus. You, I sometimes, I know this may st- seem strange, but I, when, I like sometimes saying, I'm your servant, and you're my master. Because I, I want to have this idea of aligning my life because you, might, you see my freedom comes from being bound to Christ. And then uh, there are times it's really great to just say, Holy Spirit, what are you up to? Why, why am I having these feelings? What does this mean? 
Should I really avoid the throughway today, or is that just my pizza talking? Come on, are you hearing me? You understand what I'm saying? If your prayers to God are not personal, then you're not allowing the love to come in. If it's just, oh God, Lord God, or God, 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 as some people just say over and over again, talk to Him as a person. Address what you have to say to the appropriate person of the Trinity. And they will hear you. You understand Jesus is praying right now? So every time you join Him in prayer, you're joining a prayer meeting that's going on in heaven. Holy Spirit is praying right now, right inside of you. Every time you pray, you're joining a prayer meeting that starts here and the Father reads the mind of the Spirit and He goes right to the throne of grace and begins to pour out blessing on you. So knowing that, understanding that can rekindle your passion. Lord, I'm going to pray as one who knows I'm at the throne. I'm going to pray as one who has the Spirit praying inside of me. But I love this word, and I've I got to be a little quicker here. I'm having too much fun, I'm sorry. So I love this word, insight. Because what it says is, if you are abounding in the experience and the knowledge of God's love, you begin to have a depth of insight that is not available to you otherwise. And so what Paul begins to help us understand is that love gives you the right perception of what is right, what is good, what is beautiful, what is lasting, and that can permeate the entire gamut of your experiences. It can help you understand your past, it can help you make decisions for the present, and it can help you even have this amazing trajectory into the future. But it all comes down to Am I deciding, making my choices on the basis of the love that I'm experiencing from God? On the basis of who I am in His presence? Now what's clear in Paul's prayers is every choice you make matters. Every value that you're holding on to and guiding your life by matters. But here's what Paul says. If you will value the love of God expressed in your love back to God and your love towards all these others, then you will actually be able to live what is best. And Paul is praying for the Philippians, and I pray this for you because I don't want you to have just good. I want you to have the best. Because I'm convinced that's your Father's destiny for you. That you would discern what is best. And you'd have the, the will and the heart to choose it. Passion and discipline. When I had my heart issue a few years ago, I realized, for the, it's kind of dumb, but I realized how mortal I actually am. And I also realized I may not live as long as I thought I would. I have some issues. And I'm sitting here thinking, I don't want to waste any more time with what is mediocre. I don't want to waste any more time with what is a dead end. But the truth is, I can't maximize these days just by trying to be wise or smart. 
I can only maximize these days by having an increased capacity to receive and live in the love of God and then to distribute that love. That is what Paul is saying godly discernment for life is based on. So here's what the prayer is. He says, I pray that you will know what is best. And he's saying, out of the love abounding, you will know what is best. And, and what is best... Will you give me a few more minutes? I know the piano's coming, but... I can feel it. All right, see, here's what it means here. This is so good. It means that you begin to have insight and ability to commit to the superior things. Because, you see... The goal of the Spirit is that you would be filled with personal vitality. This could mean health. It could mean energy. It could mean clarity. It could mean anything the Spirit wants it to be. But it is a sense of your own vitality increasing. And part of that, what happens is, you start to have a confidence. You have a confidence that I matter. My life is important. My choices are important. I'm affecting people by what I choose. But also you start to realize that I know what's right. And I know what's best. Do you understand the confidence when the Spirit lays on you and said, this is the way to go? Then that's God's best. And if you're choosing that and you have the insight for that, it does something to you that rises you out of the dust and puts you on a high place. And you begin to say, I matter. My life matters. What I'm doing matters. And then you realize... This is what is best. I'll steal Joe Olstein. It's your best life ever. <laughs> it's a little bit deeper because you have to know that love yourself. You have to know this insight yourself. You can't just, you see, you can't just go, let me just do what Mike does or let me just do what so and so does. No, it has to be personal. It has to be personal insight because sometimes you'll realize other people who are telling you stuff, they don't know what's best. Not best for you. Well, in order to have that best, you have to abound more and more in love. Here, here's where I'll close it, okay? Scripture is talking all through Proverbs that this best life ever thing, this what is best, is God's wisdom in your life. And here's how he explains it in Proverbs. He uses three words, and they are the same words Paul is using here in some ways. So the first is that you have to have insight. So that's what Paul is praying, a depth of insight. Well, what is insight exactly? Well, in the Hebrew, it's really a very powerful word that says you're able to notice differences. You're able to see distinctions. For example, if you are choosing a job and you have two jobs that are completely moral, there's nothing immoral about them, it will take insight for you to know this job will make me happy and this job will make me miserable. They're both morally good, but they're not insightfully good. Same is true in relationships. Relationships, you can, once you really have the love of God in your heart and it's not just about getting other people to love you, but it's you loving them, you will immediately pick up on the people who are dangerous. And you will pick up on the people who give you life. And you'll realize, Lord, what do I do with these who are dangerous? And what do I do with these who give me life? 
Come on, this is very practical. All right, so it's, you can see distinctions. But see, some people can see distinctions, but they don't know what to do with them. So the wisdom of God gives you, the English word is prudence. And, and, and in Hebrew it means this, a strategic ability to carry out your insights. In other words, another word for it is foresight. There are a lot of people who have choices and they have no idea, if I make this choice, what will happen? Foresight is not only do you have insight to distinguish between the choices that you have, but you actually begin to see what will happen if I take this choice. How many people have you heard say, well, I didn't have any choice? It's because they had no foresight, but also because they had no insight. And there are a lot of people that I meet that go, well, I think God is telling me to do this. So they have some sense of distinction of what they should or should not do, but then they never do it. And the Bible says there is no wisdom in having knowledge that you never have a strategy to apply. You understand how much God loves you? <laughs> he's offering you insight, and He's offering you foresight. And not just the insight or foresight of a smart person. The insight and foresight of the divine person who knows the end from the beginning and who knows how to take you from mediocrity to excellence. The goal that God has in your life is excellence. Wouldn't you like for the rest of your life to know that you have lived in excellence? Well, it's only going to happen if you abound more and more in His love. If you seek excellence, you won't get it. If you seek love you'll get excellence. Which means this, the last one of the wisdom teachings, it's the word instruction. Which literally means this, the walls have to come down. You have to be correctable. You have to be teachable. This is not natural to any of us. The wisdom of the world is natural to us. This is supernatural. Can I just tell you one of the themes of the Scripture? You and I are to live with supernaturally changed hearts, not morally restrained hearts. This is the goal of the Holy Spirit, supernaturally changed hearts, not morally restrained. And the only way they get supernaturally changed is as you increase and abound in His love, which means wherever He shows you as you're praying that you're broken, don't fight it. Wherever He shows you that you're unloving, don't fight it. Don't say, well, but I, you know, I grew up in a tough home or I have stress or I have this or whatever. Don't do what I did with Lisa this week. Admit it quickly. Because if He's showing you, it's where He wants to give you strength where you used to have weakness. If He's showing you, it's so that you'll be mature in all things. But for you, He's showing it because He wants excellence in your life. Ashley, will you come? Can you hear me today?